Good morning, guys. So good to be with you and excited to be here just in the Word of God again this morning. Acts chapter 27. Welcome if you're with us online, Alabama and Southern California, uh, uh, Arizona, some other places I'm sure that, uh, that I, I'm forgetting, but I apologize if I'm uh, forgetting you, but I'm so thankful uh, that, uh, that we have all of you with us online as well. Uh, as I was just saying, saying often, you know, a lot of things happened with COVID, but one of the good things that happened as a result of that was really kind of pushing us out in terms of uh, the use of technology to be able to minister in greater ways. And so we're thankful uh, for that residual uh, effect of that. So uh, that uh, when the next pandemic comes, you know, we're already going to be ready. <laughs> uh, I hope that doesn't happen. I can tell you what it was like preaching to an empty room, uh, just a camera. Uh, it, was, it was just weird. Uh, and we didn't like it at all. We, were, we just couldn't wait to be back with all of you just worshiping with you and and so let's not take that for granted now you know having having gotten a little bit away from that just appreciate every day uh, not forsaking as the scripture says the assembling of ourselves so Acts chapter 27 uh, you know I I will say this uh, that uh, sometimes and and I'm sure you realize this but life is uh, anything but smooth sailing, and in this section of Acts, we've come to the point where Paul departs for Rome, and it's uh, we're going to see some pretty tough sailing, quite literally, uh, for the Apostle Paul. But Paul was right where God would have him to be at that particular point in time, and and we're going to discover that despite the storms uh, that we face, God has a way of seeing us through when we're in that right place and doing something amazing in the process. And so you're going to see a, a, a build in this chapter. It starts out with contrary winds and then it, it moves on to storms <clears throat> and then ultimately shipwreck. But the Lord was with Paul through all of it. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. If you get motion sick, you can take some Dramamine before this message. Uh, that was my wife's joke. So see, this is the good thing. If you do a good job of communicating what you're going to say, people will give you extra material uh, in advance. If you have the right people, you say, hey, I'm going to talk about this. And then, oh, well, you should say this. The problem that happens is, is that after the fact, when they say, you should have said this, and I think, oh, yeah, that's really good. So I'm getting better on the front end, little previews, so that I can get some jokes. Uh, anyway, so if you're good at that sort of thing, just come see me. And, uh, you know, we'll text. Uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, Entering a, a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So uh, Paul boards a, a, a ship uh, from northwestern Asia Minor. Um, actually, remember Jesse, we, 
where Paul sailed from, uh, I've got this great picture of Jesse and I there in Israel, and we're waving at the dock, uh, the ancient dock there, and uh, it's a classic. Uh, maybe I'll see if I can dig that one up. But, uh, you know, Paul sails off on this ship from northwestern Asia Minor, and the plan was to follow the coast um, of Asia, and Aristarchus who was a believer from Europe, from Macedonia, that part of northern Greece, the, specifically Thessalonica, where the um, epistles of First and Second Thessalonians were addressed to. Um, he is traveling with them. So it, you might at first glance think that Paul is alone, but, you know, uh, this is like the early version of a reality show. There's a camera crew uh, with him. There's Luke with him and there's Aristarchus. So he, he wasn't traveling alone and uh, as well as uh, a lot of other people as well. And so the first stop on the voyage, verse 3, was Sidon. Um, Sidon was a Phoenician port city to the north. Uh, today, the area of Sidon is... Um, in Leb- what is Lebanon now today. And uh, Julius treated Paul kindly, uh, gave him liberty to go to his friends and to receive care. And verse 4, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So if you look uh, west then of there, out in the Mediterranean, you have the island of Cyprus, Um, Because of the direction of the wind, uh, they sailed on the south side of the island of Cyprus, which basically runs east-west, and they used the island actually to block uh, some of that wind. And so you're starting to get a sense for how this voyage uh, would go, and it begins with contrary winds. Now, contrary winds, if, if, if in sailing terms, um, probably in most terms, are headwinds, and they're exceptionally difficult because if you've ever sailed, you know that, that you can't sail directly into a headwind. You have to tack or uh, some ancient version of that, so you're not going to be able to take the most direct route if as you'll see, if you can even continue uh, even close to your direction at all. Verse 5, and so uh, when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came uh, to Myra, the city, uh, a city of Lycia. So they made their way uh, to the southern coast then uh, of Asia Minor, and there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship, Uh, Alexandria being in Egypt, Uh, so this ship was from Egypt. Uh, We'll see later it was an Alexandrian grain freighter uh, that was sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So this uh, wasn't a nonstop flight. Uh, There were connections, and so they make this connection there uh, in Mira to travel then the rest of the journey to Italy. And uh, it says that, verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. So they, they traveled to uh, Nidus with difficulty. Nidus was uh, on a peninsula uh, at the southwestern end of Asia Minor, so very end of uh, of. 
Turkey, what is Turkey today, and they sailed under Crete, which you probably know, uh, island, uh, Crete is one of the Greek islands uh, in, uh, there, uh, in the Aegean, and they sailed past, uh, we see the, uh, as they describe it, the eastern tip, and then along the south side of Crete, and passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassie. So uh, they arrive ultimately at a port uh, on Crete known as Fair Havens. There was a city named Lassie nearby. Now, the preliminary, you look at that and, and uh, a lot just happened there. Um, but all that is really just setting the stage for what is about to happen, showing you that that they got this far, and that was the good part of the voyage. Everything that we just read so far seems, you look at that and you think, that seems very difficult. And it was, and that was the easy part, because now it's about to get really difficult as the storms begin to develop. Verse 9, And when much time had been sent and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, uh, Paul, we're told, gives them some advice. So, This gives you a little bit more insight to how difficult that first part of the journey was. It should have been relatively quick, uh, but due to the winds, it was not. And they had lost a lot of time. And it says that the fast was already over. What that fast is referring to is the Day of Atonement. Uh, So it's late September now or early October. And that means that winter is approaching and it's going to become very dangerous uh, to make this journey. They would have started this journey well in advance, so they've obviously lost a, a, a lot of time, and, but they want to keep going. Paul offers them some advice. He says, men, verse 10, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So his advice is going to be, look, let's just settle down. Paul, one thing you learn about the Apostle Paul is is that he had learned a tremendous amount of patience. He was someone who, uh, not just because of age and wisdom, but because of where uh, the Lord had brought him spiritually, had learned when to wait. Learned when it was best to wait. And he says, folks, I... I just recommend that we sit tight uh, for the winter. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. You know, that happens all of the time. Are we going to listen to the pastor or are we going to listen to the sailors? Ah, We'll listen to the sailors. What does the pastor, what does he know, uh, uh, what does the preacher know about sailing? So they, you know, but here's... Here's what they don't always realize. The preacher may not know a whole lot about sailing, uh, but there's maybe other ways of gaining information, isn't there, other than just sailing through life. And, uh, and so uh, Paul, you know, there was a lot of wisdom there. Unfortunately, they didn't listen to him, verse 12. And because the harbor that they were in was not suitable to winter in, uh, the majority advised to set sail from there also, very least, let's get out of this harbor. So they wanted to try to get to, uh, it says, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, 
a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest uh, and winter there. So it was decided that, that they uh, should go to Phoenix, that Phoenix would be a better place to winter. And, you know, everybody from the Midwest knows this. So uh, uh, it's always better to spend the winter in Phoenix. And um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called uh, Eurocladon. So in winter, there was this uh, notorious Mediterranean wind. Eurocladon means, uh, it means literally a violent wind from the west. Um, words are kind of fascinating, particularly when you look in the Bible, especially the etymology of, uh, uh, of words. Um, and this is two words, obviously it has the prefix euro, which you've heard before, um, and then cludon, which means a, a violent agitation. So the word euro, there's all kinds of different translations um, for this prefix. Um, the furthest back, that if you're interested in languages and things like that, the furthest back that you can really um, definitively go with this word is uh, Latin and Greek. And in, in Latin, uh, the, uh, well, you have the, the Latin meaning Europa, uh, or Latin word Europa, the Greek uh, Europe, uh, and so they're uh, sometimes translated like broad or broad face, and people think that it was a reference to the people uh, that lived in these areas. Um, but actually, if you look, it seems to go back beyond that into some ancient Semitic languages like Akkadian uh, or even um, Phoenician. And there is an Akkadian word, Erebu, which means to set, like the sun. And there was a Phoenician word, Ereb, which meant evening. So the idea is probably that this word, Euro, meant uh, toward the setting of the sun, to, to, to the west. So when you had this uh, Eurocladon, this word, it, it meant this storm, this wind uh, that was coming out of the coming out of the west, um, you know, so in other words, it was a, a wind that was blowing uh, eastward, and for them, they were sailing from the eastern Mediterranean to the western Mediterranean right now uh, in, directly into, into this headwind, uh, or, or at least that was the direction that, that, they, uh, that they needed to go. And so, verse 15, it says that, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So you can't, as I said, you can't, uh, there is an angle in relationship to a headwind that you can't sail. Um, so, and sailors know that, that if you point your bow in, in that direction or within a few degrees of the direction of the headwind, a certain degree, you're in what's called irons and you, you, can't, you can't sail. So you have to, depending on the type of ship that you have, sail using you know, your rudder and your sail at an angle in relationship to that headwind, and you have to tack back and forth 
uh, as you go into that headwind. Um, and like I said, depending on the type of ship and rigging and so forth, that determines how closely to the headwind you can actually safely and effectively sail. So in these ancient type of ships, um, they were able to do that. They were actually able to do that all the way back to the Vikings were quite skilled uh, at doing this and crossing uh, the Atlantic and all, all kinds of uh, northern seas, uh, tremendous sailors. And so even back in this time, the Egyptians and uh, others, Europeans, quite skilled at doing this, uh, but even they would meet their match in this particular headwind. And they got to the point where the wind was was so strong that it, it, it would probably have been uh, unsafe to try and tack back and forth in this wind or sail at an angle in this wind. Uh, so they had to just uh, turn in one direction and let the wind just kind of push them and make some progress, but also push them in a direction they didn't want to go. In this case, that was south down toward uh, the coast of Africa. And so it says that running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. So they would have been towing their skiff. They brought their skiff on board. It says, verse 17, that they used cables to undergird the ship. So the, the storm is getting very violent. They're worried about this, this ship likely made of wood, uh, definitely made of wood uh they're they're concerned about this ship breaking up so they would use cables uh to then reinforce uh the hull and fearing that they should run aground on the Surtis sands they struck sail and so were driven so they finally got to the point where as i said they're sailing and they're making quite little progress in the direction they actually want to go but they're being pushed south uh, towards Sirtis Sands, a shoal, uh, a very dangerous sandbar in a bay uh, off of the coast of North Africa. It was located between Libya and Tunisia. And so they didn't want to be forced down into this area and be shipwrecked in that area, so they struck the sail, which is just a, a nautical term meaning that they lowered their sail, which meant that now that they're adrift in the storm, they're not going to be pushed as quickly by the storm because their sail's not up uh, or sails, uh, and but they're in a very they can't really navigate at this point in time. They're subject to the wind uh, and the current, and so it's a very unideal situation. They're just trying to kind of wait out uh, the storm, and it says that because we we were exceedingly tempest tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So now because they're just drifting, they're, they're even more exposed to the storm. The, the ship is being tossed. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle uh, overboard. So they began to, to throw uh, cargo uh, and tackle overboard, rigging and uh, less items that at least they could uh, part with. I doubt there was too many excess items, so they're getting rid of things they probably didn't necessarily want to, uh, but at this point it was about, uh, it was life or death. And verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, uh, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So they're in this storm, they can't, uh, they can't navigate, they can't see anything whatsoever, you know, they're they don't have, uh, obviously, 
they were navigating via the stars. They can't see the stars, so they don't even know exactly where they're at. They're in the storm, and they, they finally just gave up mentally. They felt that there was no hope, um, that they were going to die, verse 21. But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. You know, as I look at this story, I can't help but think of um, the story of Jonah. There's so many similarities of, even down to the, it's the same sea, the same general um, geography. And there is, though, I would say this, despite all of the similarities, there's, there's one key difference between the story of Jonah and the story of the Apostle Paul and his storm. And that's that Jonah was in the storm because he ran from God, and Paul was in the storm because he ran to God. So if you recall the story of Jonah, uh, God told him to go to Nineveh, and he got on a boat in the opposite direction. He said, right, no. Uh, he, he hated them. You know, he didn't want them, he didn't want to preach to them, one, and he didn't want them responding to that message either. So he ran. He got on a boat and tried to go to the furthest place in his time that he could get from, from God. Trying to run probably to like Spain if you, if, if you look at the text there. And he was caught in a storm. God got a hold of him. Well, Paul, just the opposite. He didn't run from things that he knew were difficult. But he actually ran to them in obedience to God. And yet he found himself in a storm as well. And so we need to look at that and we need to remember that difficult circumstances don't necessarily mean that you're off course. A lot of times you may think or, or other people may tell you, oh, what, what, did you, what are you doing wrong? I've had, you know... Uh, my share of people ask me that question. Well, what are you doing wrong? Because you see over here, it's going so easy for them. And I can say, well, you know, I, I don't know if it really is going easy for them or if it is good. I'm happy for them. Uh, but I can't really speak to that situation. All I can speak to is my situation and whether or not I'm in my situation because I'm being obedient or disobedient. And what I can encourage you is this. Just because your circumstances are difficult doesn't mean that you are not exactly where God wants you to be. In fact, I would suggest to you that many times when you're doing exactly what God calls you to do, you're going to find it very difficult sailing. You're, you're going to find that, uh, that uh, it's not the south wind blowing softly. That it's, you know, your aquadon. It's this headwind. It's this this violent wind in your face. And the temptation there is to think, oh, I've got it wrong, I need to stop. Or I need to at least 
let up a little bit. My encouragement to you is first, in prayer, make sure that you're doing what God has called you to do. And if you're doing what God has called you to do, no matter how difficult it is, just put your head down and keep going. Put your head down and keep going, because I can tell you this, it will be hard, it will be difficult, it may be unpleasant. You know, one of the things that I can't stand the most is wind. Snow, I, I don't mind snow. I like snow. Uh, rain, I, I, I don't mind rain, you know, but wind, it's very irritating. You know, do you ever find yourself the wind and you're, and you're just, it's unfortunate because it's a weather event and you can't really get mad at it, but you do. Like, oh, this, you know, you're like you want to punch it or something. And uh, you, but that doesn't work well. <laughs> I'm trying to punch the wind. Uh, but, you know, it's just irritating. And maybe, you know, that's, you just put your, you got to put your head down because I can tell you this, it's not going to blow forever. And, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, it'll be difficult, it'll be hard, you'll, you, you might be discouraged or whatever the case, tired, uh, worn out. You just keep moving and eventually the wind is going to stop. But don't you stop if you're doing what God has called you to do simply because things are not all falling into place for you. Because Everything's not lined up in, in your favor. A lot of people think, well, it, you see, if God is in it, it's all, all everything's just going to fall into place. <laughs> Bro, read your Bible. You, you know what I mean? Like, right? That, like, I, that would be cool, really cool if that were true, but it's not. It just isn't. That's not how it works. And you see example after example after example throughout the Bible. So, my encouragement to you is, you know, if, if right now you feel, you know, like the wind is in your face, but you know you're doing what God has called you to do, then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just, just keep going, keep driving through the wind, and know this, it's not going to blow forever. Paul knew that. These guys didn't. Um, but uh, the Lord had encouraged him. And so, a difficult situation here for Paul but he's exactly where God wants him to be. And so, verse 24, he says, uh, you know, that, that this angel said to him, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So look, I still have, a, the angel told me, I have a job to do, and this is what the job is going to be. And, and all of you are going to survive along with me. So, Paul had been fasting and he had been praying and, and the angel tells him that God had answered his prayer and the angel confirmed the plan is still the plan. The plan is still the plan. You're still going to Rome. You're still going to testify before Caesar. He says, therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Now the Adriatic Sea today is, is uh, it, if you look at a map, is in between Italy and Greece. That's the, uh, at least on the, nor- uh, on the northern end it's uh, 
what do you have out up there now, like uh, uh, Czech Republic or something like that? I, for, I lost track of who owns what up on the east side up there now. But you've got Italy on the west, you've got the Adriatic, then you have the Ionian Sea, then you have the Mediterranean Sea. Well, all of that down to Malta and even into the Mediterranean back in this time was considered um, the, the Adriatic uh, Sea. And so it says that they, they sensed that they were drawing near some land, and so they took soundings, verse 28. They found it to be 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little bit further uh, or farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Uh, so they're, they're using um, a device that was basically weights attached to uh, a rope with measurements uh, on it, You'd drop it when it hit the bottom. You'd see how much, you know, where the marking was uh, on the rope. And you know approximately how deep uh, the ocean is there. Uh, and so they take regular soundings. It's 120 feet. Uh, then it's 90 feet. Uh, so, you know, if you paid attention a little bit in geography, you know as you getting close to the coastline, you know, the ocean floor is kind of doing this until, boom, land pops out of, uh, out of the water. And so uh, they knew that, oh, it's 120 feet, oh, it's, it, it's 90 feet. We're getting, close, we're getting close to something. And so, verse 29, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for uh, day to come. Now, what's interesting is, is that in 1969, uh, divers off the coast of Malta uh, in St. Thomas Bay uh, found four ancient uh, first century anchors, uh, and they salvaged those. Uh, they are located in a maritime museum uh, on the island of Malta. Another one was found in uh, Salina Bay uh, in 2005. Uh, there's a picture of the Pope with that one because the, the thing is, is that uh, uh, there is on the island of Malta, St. Paul's Island and St. Paul's Bay. That's the traditional site. Uh, Selena Bay was one bay over. Those are on the north side though. And they, uh, unlikely because of currents, the storm that they would have been shipwrecked on the north side of the island of Malta, but St. Thomas Bay is located on the southeastern end uh, of the island. It's a more likely spot. The scripture gives us, uh, we'll see in just a moment, very detailed descriptions of the ocean, uh, the reef, uh, the beach in the bay there. Uh, and so it's fascinating. Here's what I've discovered. We, if you ever go to Israel with us, uh, you'll, if we ever get to go to Israel again, uh, you'll, you'll learn that... Uh, the traditional site is often not the right site. So if it's called St. Paul's Bay, you can almost be sure Paul never went there. That's what I found. Because somebody at some point said, yeah, this is the spot, you know. And uh, no research or whatever, they just probably had their house and their gift shop there. And so, yeah, that's the spot right there, you know. Uh, they came in on their boogie boards. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, but probably not the spot. Uh, but very interestingly, whether or not these anchors uh, were from this Alexandrian grain freighter that Paul was on, uh, 
It's quite possible. Um, you'll see some articles if you Google it online. You can see pictures uh, of the way that these, uh, these ancient anchors for these sh- ships looked. And uh, it's really, it, it really is fascinating. Uh, but verse 30, as the sailors uh, were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So uh, this is interesting because as you look at the, the, the dynamic has clearly changed. And Paul began this trip as a, as a prisoner. You know, they, they let him kind of have some liberty as a prisoner. He even began the trip as someone, hey, can I give you a little bit of advice? No, nah, that's okay. And now he's really emerged uh, as uh, a leader. And this was all due to the way that he faced the storm and how he depended on the Lord and how the Lord was, was working through Paul. And he, here's what I would say. Uh, is that leaders emerge in storms. Leaders, you know, maybe they're not needed so much when it's smooth sailing. And, you know, one, no one needs an answer. But leaders emerge in storms and opportunities arise for the gospel in storms. Your neighbors are not going to... Uh, be looking to you when their health is good and their retirement is, is booming and when everything is going good in their life. But you know, what I found is they're, they're watching you. People are watching you and things start to go bad and then they might say, hey, would you pray for me? Because I know, I know that you pray. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? Or they'll accept help or, you know, the door begins to crack and to open. And they'll allow you to, to lead them spiritually, maybe even just a little bit. Hopefully all the way to Christ. And you know, in the church, the Lord has a way of raising up leaders in difficult times and in storms and as we look around us it's one big storm every day is some new aspect to the storm and and you know you might get irritated with it like the wind you know you just but maybe step back take a breath and realize this is an opportunity this is an opportunity to serve the Lord. And so verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. 
And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards, some on parts of the ship, and so it was, they all escaped safely to land. Now, most people will tell you that surfing began in Hawaii, but the Bible tells us that it began in Malta because it says that... uh, they made their way to shore, some on boards. Yeah. Part of the ship, you know, picked out to get to shore. Uh, they made it. Just like, just like the Lord had told Paul. Just like he had encouraged him. And you notice Paul's demeanor throughout all of this? You never get the sense that he wavered once. You never get the sense that he didn't believe in God uh, less. He always trusted the Lord through this storm. The Lord got him with a lot of drama where ultimately, as we'll see next time, where, where he was supposed to go. Um, and the voyage probably wasn't his favorite trip, um, but he, the Lord used him. He's using him arguably in even great, the storms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's using him in even greater ways. And you know, as I look at this chapter, uh, uh, a question kind of comes to mind, and it's, you know, why does Luke give all of this detail? You know, this is a lot of scriptural real estate taken up on this story, if, 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 you, if you look at it. It's a big chunk of, of the book of Acts, in a way, and, and the New Testament. And you say, what? You know, why, why does Luke give us all of this? You know, why does he tell us about how they're all up and down through the Mediterranean and all of the details that happened? Well, you know, the, the simplest answer is, is that it was amazing and that God worked on behalf of Paul and behalf of others. Um, it's also part of the story of how he got to Rome but I would say this that it it reminds us that storms are not necessarily a commentary on whether or not as I said we are in the right place and whether or not God is going to work and whether or not God is working but they're an opportunity They're not a negative, it's a reminder that when you serve the Lord, even the worst storm that the the world can throw at you is actually going to work in your favor. That's, that's, That's the point of the story. The worst 
Listen, I don't like to ask the question, what's the worst that could happen? Or I also don't like to say, it can't get any worse than this. Because, uh, unfortunately, I've looked very foolish many times. It can't get any worse than this. Oh, here we are. You know, so I, I realize. But objectively here, the worst circumstances in terms of this journey that could, could have been thrown at them happened. The worst storm they could have faced. They should have all died. The Lord brought them through. The end of the day was just part of the voyage. And what we discover is, is that even, we have the confidence, even as bad as it can get, God can still work. Still an opportunity for the believer. Still an opportunity for you to take ground, not to lose ground for the Lord. We usually want the south wind to blow softly. You know, you wake up in the morning, ah, yeah, I'll take that. Lying in my hammock, you know, uh, nice, gentle, warm wind, you know, swinging the hammock maybe uh, a little bit. And, you know, you think, ah, that sounds like a good, that sounds like the, the good life. That's the life I'm looking for. That's the life that I want to achieve. If I had any social media followers, that's what I'd want to show them, you know. Ah, me in my hammock, you know, swaying in the breeze, you know. That's not the way it works. That's, that, that, that's not the way it works in the life of the believer. And my encouragement to you is, is when that Eurocladon comes, don't flinch. Just, you know, part of the journey. Put your head down. Wait. It will pass. But don't miss it also in the process of going through that storm because God wants to work in the midst of all of that as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word here this morning. Well, we all go through storms. We know what it's like. Storms that affect our hearts, storms that affect our minds, storms that even affect uh, our bodies. And Lord, there can be uh, sometimes an irritation with it or a fear or an anxiety frustration, whatever the case may be, Lord, you are, you're in, you're in that. You've allowed it. There's something that you want to do through that, through us and in us. And Lord, it's an opportunity. And so whether calm seas or storms, Maybe, Lord, be found perfectly in you. And may we be growing in you and be used by you. As our heads are bowed this morning, I want to invite you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, to do so. Because let me tell you this, the promises in the scriptures, if you haven't trusted in God, then you're forfeiting those. They're beyond you. You haven't taken a hold of them. All of the promises as believers that we enjoy in Christ come because we're in Christ. 
because we placed our faith and trust in him. And if you haven't done that, you need to. But more importantly than that, if you haven't accepted Christ, the Bible says that you're still in your sins. You're dead in your sins. You're a dead man walking, awaiting your physical death and judgment and eternity apart from God in hell. And you know, I think some people, they may say that casually or lightly, but God does not take that casually or lightly. In fact, the Bible says that he is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you say, how willing? So willing that he sent his only son to die in your place, to bear your sin on the cross, that if you place your faith and trust in him and receive that sacrifice for yourself, your sins will be wiped away. You will have eternal life. And he will give you his spirit in this life to guide you and strengthen you as a guarantee. In fact, he will indwell you. He will walk with you and he will use you. But he will not force you to choose him. And so my encouragement to you is this morning. If you haven't, as Jesus said, been born again, give your life to Christ. Surrender to Christ. We're going to pray in just a moment. And if you'd like to join me in a simple prayer to do just that, to ask Christ into your heart, to make him your Lord and your Savior, I'd like to pray with you. I invite you where you're sitting just to raise your hand. We'll pray together. God bless you. Anybody else, if you want to pray with us this morning, we'd love to have you join us. Okay, if you're with us, if you didn't raise your hand, you want to pray, you pray with us. If you're watching online, you want to join us, you pray with us as well. Father, I thank you. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending your son. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. I'm sorry for my sin. I've sinned against you, Lord. I ask you to forgive me. I receive the sacrifice of your son and his forgiveness on that cross. I thank you that you have. I ask you to make me your child, your servant, to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Give me your spirit to strengthen me. Teach me in your word. Guide me. Use me. I thank you, Lord, that I'm now yours, that I belong to you, that I have the hope of heaven and eternal life, that I'll be with you, and that I can serve you now, free and forgiven. In Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for those that have prayed this morning. We pray that you would bless them now to take them forward in their relationship with you, forward in victory. And all your church, Lord, that you would continually just renew them and strengthen them by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.